Disclaimer, the hosts of this podcast, Timothy Patrick and Will Foley, are by no means medical professionals. However, having lived experience with mental illness themselves, they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis. By sharing their stories, they hope to create connection. By creating connection, they hope to help you find your purpose. And through purpose, we can all begin to build the foundation for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Are you ready to lace up your boots, throw up your horns, and jump into the pit? Then let's stomp the stigmas of mental illness. It's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now, Will Foley and Timothy Patrick. What is up, everyone? It's time for a... Another Above Ground Podcast episode, that's right. You're talking Wednesday, February 10th, 2021. I think I'm going to start introducing the dates every time I do these, just to make sure you know where you're at. Because sometimes when we're in the throes of anxiety, we can forget just the most basic of things. We're going to talk about anxiety today on today's episode because we are joined by the Anxiety MD. Dr. Russell Kennedy is our guest this week, and uh, it was an awesome, awesome experience to speak with him, and I know you're going to gain some great insight and benefit out of this episode. Another benefit of this awesome podcast is the fact that we have some cool people that we know, like young Dan and Natalie of Close Knit Company out of Naples, Florida. That's right, Close Knit Company is an awesome screen printing company that started here humbly in 2016 here in upstate New York, man. But they got out of this snowy land and they went to where their dreams were in Naples, Florida. Young Dan creates some awesome screen printed tees. Natalie takes some great pictures and, you know, together, man, they're a force to be reckoned with and we are happy to have them as teammates here at Above Ground Podcast because they are the official screen printing company for our gear. We have a t-shirt and a hoodie available at closeknitcompany.com. And you can find that. And, uh, you know, if you buy a t-shirt, um, it all helps us keep this show going, man. That's what it's all about. And you also get to help a small business keep adding to its to its uh, t-shirt designs because they make some cool ass t-shirts man they really do they got some they got some St. Patrick's Day designs right now don't forget magically delicious so if you go to closeknitco.com and you go to collabex underneath their collections you can find our stuff or you can find many of their designs man they got some cool stuff so please check out closeknitco.com Tell them that Above Ground Podcast sent you. Now it's time for the anxiety prescription with Russell Kennedy, MD, the anxiety MD. What is up, everyone? Welcome to yet another Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast because you can't serve below are you dallas tpp yeah you know me 
Ah, oh, Timmy, come on, man. I'm like, you're letting me down, dude. <laughs> All right, hold let on. Me let me down. try that again. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> What's That's up, better. Timmy? How are we doing this week, brother? We're doing, man. We're doing. Yeah. One day at a time. Dude, that's all you can do. That's all you can do. That's all the world should ask of you is one day at a time, man. Shit. Some, maybe sometimes one hour at a time might be a, yeah. a better, a better, uh, a better scope and view. Uh, so, so we are on zoom again, which means we have another above ground conversation going on. And tonight we are joined by, not only are we joined by a medical doctor, uh, he is a neuroscientist He's an author. He is a stand-up comedian, which <laughs> is, is pretty fucking cool. And he's also a yoga meditation teacher and, I got to say, an all-around renaissance man. Dr. Russ Kennedy, thank you so much for being here, man. I do my best. Thank you. <laughs> Dr. Russ is known as the Anxiety MD. Uh, he wrote a book that came out in 2020 called The Anxiety Prescription. And we're aw it's it's so awesome to have you here. So tell us about your work. Um, I love the idea that helping people recover from anxiety is your life's work. And the only and the people that can and there's no better guides than the ones who have been in the maze themselves and show the way out. Cause that's why we started above ground podcast was because we've had our own experiences and we wanted to help people, man. So Dr. Russ, it's a pleasure. Well, thanks for having me guys. I saw some of your work and I saw that you have a sense of humor. So it's like, ah, oh, I got to work with these guys. You know, this is, it's, it's kind of stiff, you know, when you deal with trauma and especially childhood trauma, it can get pretty thick, you know, and it can get pretty, pretty dull, you know, pretty intense, probably intense is probably the better word. Um, so yeah, I mean, I grew up in a family with, uh, my dad was schizophrenic and bipolar. So there was a lot of chaos in my family. So I kind of, I grew up trying to, to help people. So I decided I'll become a medical doctor. So I did that. Wasn't all that fulfilled with medicine, even though I did really like helping people, but just handing out pharmaceuticals day after day after day. Not that I'm anti-drug, which, cause I'm not, you know, I love drugs, man. Uh, yeah, but, don't we all? <laughs> but it's, it's just, you know, just the, the whole symptom relief kind of thing. And it doesn't really do anything for the underlying cause. And in fact, it almost makes it worse in a way. So, so I don't want anyone to suffer like I did with anxiety because I went through, you know, 30 years of it, waking up with it every day and um became fairly success successful i must i must say and uh <laughs> just overall it was kind of like well how did i do that as opposed to you know helping other people do that because i do believe tr traditional therapies these days are really lacking like medication you know numbs the feelings for sure i think talk therapy has its place absolutely but i'm i'm kind of a uh, uh, I'm, I'm not a proponent of talk therapy alone because I don't think it really helps people. In fact, it can re-traumatize people. I think we actually need to do some somatic therapy. My wife's a somatic trauma therapist. So we get into the body, right? The, the body is the representation of the unconscious mind. So if you have all this unconscious crap that you've pushed down there since you've been, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, or even younger than that, um, it's going to take kind of an unconscious process 
to get a hold of that and get into the, what I call get into the same room with those unconscious programs. And then you can change them. But if you're shouting at them from across the meadow, like, hey, you shouldn't be doing this, or hey, you should get up at five every morning and do yoga, you know, like people don't internalize that stuff. So my big frustration, and I'll stop talking in a minute, is that is that um, traditional therapies just don't work. And, and, and it frustrates the hell out of me to watch people, you know, go to traditional therapists once a week for an hour for 120 odd bucks or whatever it costs these days for five years. And I know these people because they're my friends and they're not a lot better, right? They're not a lot better. So I say, I used to say this on stage, it's like, if you have a leak in your house, right? If there's a leak in your house and this plumber came by every week and got that leak just a tiny bit better every week. Would you keep paying that guy 200 bucks an hour? No, you would not. <laughs> no, but we do that in therapy. Like we go back to therapy time and time and time again, believing that it's going to help us. And talk therapy is helpful. Don't get me wrong. And I don't want to get, you know, in, into that. But you got it. You have to do some kind of somatic work, body work into the body, feeling your feelings, because you got to feel it to heal it. You can't just talk about it. I love it. I love it. I'm, the the body keeps the score is, is has been an amazing book, and it's been an amazing eye opener for me. And yeah. and not to I don't want to hijack the conversation because I'm sure I can see Timmy's eyes rolling and say I know he's got a couple questions for you. No, no. But no, I, no. I'm good. I'm good. But I can honestly say I I grew up. Um, my mother has schizoaffective disorder. Okay. And um, my my childhood was very chaotic. My dad is an alcoholic. Um, I've talked about it on the show. Now he's been sober now for many years. Thank goodness. He got himself clean because he was told that if he didn't, he'd be dead, which is, you know, sometimes that's the best prescription. Sometimes knowing that you're not going to be alive is, is a good way to clean yourself up. Yeah. But I, I'm really interested to know how you came to know that it was in the body because we've talked about anxiety attacks and panic attacks on the show before. Yeah. And, and I've actually been seen in the ER several times thinking I was having a heart attack when it was really just a panic attack. Right. So I'm, I'm wondering where you came, how did you come to this rationalization? Was it just many times of feeling it in your own body or was it through your yoga training or was this something that you just kind of pieced together as you, as you learned more, you became more, in tune to your own body? Well, I think back in 2013, 2013, 2014, I had left medicine. I felt like my life was kind of over in a way. I was desperate. So a friend of mine who's um, a specialist in plant medicine said, well, why don't you try some LSD? Cause you know, you're suicidal, you got nothing to lose. So I did. So, and this LSD trip showed me that my anxiety wasn't in my head at all. It was actually in my body. It's in my solar plexus. It's a pressure. It's a pain. It's about the size of a fist. It pushes up against my heart, and it and it and it's it's hot. It's it's it feel and it feels prickly. So I didn't get all this in one kind of download. Although as I was coming out of the LSD, I saw all this really clearly. But over the course of you know kind of weeks to months after that, I kind of pieced it together because what I was doing was I was trying to find the solution in my head all the time, when actually the solution was in my body. And here's where it gets really weird. I was also told that that alarm that's in my body that pushes up against my heart is my wounded inner child. Is is the part of me that experienced that chaos and just stuffed it down. 
So I had to connect with that alarm because when I connected that alarm, I was actually connecting with the younger, wounded, scared, and abandoned part of myself. And once I started doing that, I started making some traction. Hey, this actually is working. I'm actually feeling quite a bit better. Although, although caveat to that, sometimes as you're getting better, you get worse because the ego doesn't want you to change. So the ego keeps you overprotected and keeps you hypervigilant with stuff. So when you stop being hypervigilant, the ego goes nuts because it thinks it's protecting you by giving you all these worries and making you kind of think all the time way too fast and way too much ahead of yourself. So the thinking was a, like a, a gradual kind of process. So to get back to your original question, I didn't see it as a, as a neuroscientist or a medical doctor or anything like that. I saw it uh, on LSD and I saw that's where it was. And at that moment, I knew something was different. But um, about a year and a half later, I went to a, um, a conference with Dr. Gordon Neufeld, who's a uh, developmental psychologist. And he said this to me, he said, all anxiety is separation anxiety. And then everything kind of just, it all fit together. So it was like all anxiety is separation anxiety but it's separation from yourself. Like it's, it, oh. it really is a separation from yourself. So what happened with me is when my dad would go a little crazy and by a little crazy, I mean a lot crazy and wind up psychiatric <laughs> intensive care and all that kind of stuff. I would have to protect myself from that. And that on some level when I was even younger, because he, you know, wasn't like he just went crazy when I was older. Uh, I knew something was wrong. So when something goes wrong in your household as a child, you don't blame it on the parents because the parents have to take care of you. So, you know, right. there's, a saying, there's a saying that says, you know, if you reject or abandon the child, they don't stop, they don't stop loving the parent. They stop loving themselves. Yep. So that's what I talk about that split. So when you get that split and become a people pleaser or whatever, when a part of you is split when you're younger like that, you can't hold love anymore. That container is cracked. So until you, you patch that container together to hold love for yourself again, then you start to heal. So all the talk therapy in the world is not going to change that. So that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. Um, it's one of the reasons why my approach to anxiety is very different than I think virtually everyone on the planet right now, although that is changing. People are starting to see my views a little closer. So, you know, we'll see. But it basically came down to LSD. LSD showed me. Um, even with my degrees in medicine and neuroscience and, and my work in developmental psychology, all that acad academia didn't really help me. What really helped me was getting into the feeling of my body and, and seeing it for what it was, which LSD showed me. I, got a I have a question for you regarding plant medicine, because I am, I am a cannabis uh, believer. I mean, I, I support legalization in can of, of cannabis, but I also support the medical as a, as a medicine. I also support. It. Sure. However, I also know that anything that's good can become a problem. Of course. Also, but I, what I'm wondering is because because I've actually my um, my tradi my acupuncturist actually suggested that I I get some shrooms, and yeah. and have some psilocybin, and I'm just wondering if. If do you think that that can be something that you can do as on a solo journey, or do you think that you need to to seek out 
Um, I mean, it, it, again, you're in Canada. We're in the United States. You know how yeah. the you know how this works. Yeah. So it's not like you can literally go down the street and go to a yeah. plant medicine therapist. But I'm wondering, do you think it's safely able to be done in a in a solo sort of way, if you know sort of what you're working on and you can, and you've experimented with these medicines in the past, in different ways, so you know what to expect. Do you think that that is something that you can actually start to work on on your own? Yes and no. So to do a large dose of, or, you know, like a, a trippy dose of LSD, no, you shouldn't be on your own for that. What's becoming really popular is something called microdosing, which is you take a small amount um, each day for a number of days and then you stop and then, you know, or some people just take it one for one day and then they stop for a week and then they do it again. So microdosing by and large, I think is quite safe. I don't think people get into problems with that, but I would not recommend, you know, like a therapeutic dose of LSD, ayahuasca, um, any of, any of the psychedelics on your own, because, you know, it does fracture, you know, and, we, and you know, we can go into the neuroscience behind how the ego and the, um, how the ego is affected by psilocybin and all the, the, you know, there's something called the default mode network in our brain, which we kind of revert back to. And I believe it holds a lot of our shame, a lot of our repetitive st stuff that we tell ourselves all the time. And what, what the psychedelics do is they paralyze that part. So, but they also paralyze the ego at the same time. So what happens is that you get into this sort of free state of, you know, who you really are in a way, because all of these old, you know, trappings and experiences you've had aren't in the mix anymore. So you get this, you get a more pure version of yourself. And when we see that more pure version of, of ourselves, we, you know, it's kind of like once you've been there before, you can kind of get back to that in a way. So I would not recommend um, any of the psychedelics alone. Um, you can make a case for doing microdosing for psilocybin. Now, the thing about that is that if you do have a first degree relative of, that has schizophrenia, mother, father, sister, brother, uh, or a psychotic illness, it's kind of a, it's not a contraindication, but it's kind of a caution, right? So that would be even more reason if you're going to do it to make sure that you had someone with you as well. So, you know, it's a, cause here's, here's the, you know, here's the sort of the therapist kind of Dr. Russ, and then there's the doctor, Dr. Russ, and I don't want to get anybody hurt, so psilocybin, you can microdose, I believe, quite safely. Um, but, you, like, but with the major doses of stuff, you, know, you, you absolutely need a guide. You need someone with you that you can trust because things tend to go a little haywire. You know? they, they go a little weird. And you know, just getting back to what I was saying about the default mode network, they're wondering about if this default mode that we go to in our brain when we're not doing anything that holds a lot of our shame and stuff, you know, the, the repetitive thoughts that you get. Would um, that be the subconscious? Would that be comparable to the subconscious or no? In a, in a way, in a way, but this is actually a structure in the brain called the default mode network. It has oh, okay. Anterior cingulate and, and, and posteriors. It has a bunch of like structures, neural structures that seem to hold this kind of, when the brain isn't doing something, we kind of default back into this kind of almost a daydreaming state of the brain. And they found this years ago when they were doing MRI studies, uh, what they would do is they would give people 
problems, specifically math problems, and then they would watch what would happen when the math problem was over. And it would tend, the, the brain would tend to go back into this default mode where it would just, it's sort of its resting daydreaming state. But unfortunately, when we have trauma, I believe that resting daydreaming state gets poisoned. And a lot of our shame starts coming into that. So that's why when, when we take psilocybin or we take psychedelics, we paralyze that default mode network because they see that on the fMRI studies that the default mode network is no longer active. And also the ego is no longer active too. So they're kind of saying, well, maybe the ego and the default mode network are kind of really linked together. So hmm. and I, that, that's, that's one of the issues. So, so I think it's more subconscious is kind of a general term for not being aware of it, I think this actually, it's almost like a light switch. You can turn it on or off with psychedelics. And because it turns off the ego, as well as this sort of, you know, constant judgment, shame, blame, whatever in you, you kind of get above the clouds and see, you know, who you really are on some way, on some levels. Um, but I don't want to paint, you know, a, a rosy picture of it because my trips on ayahuasca were the most terrifying of my entire life by a lot. Like, yeah, I can imagine to it so so you know it's it's a complex field for sure but it's very interesting to see these new developments that they're making so the short answer to your question <laughs> no no like i don't recommend doing psychedelics on your own and uh um unless you're going to consider microdosing and then if you're considering microdosing and you have a history of you know schizophrenia or, or in a relative or whatever you have to be extra cautious about that so that that would be a very long answer to a very specific question. So thank you very much. Ah, no, that's that's good. That was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. I, you know what? I got to just say this real quick that I really appreciate. I mean, I just appreciate you coming on, but being um, somebody with your uh, credentials to be able to talk openly about this stuff, I think is, is such a huge and great thing because uh, you know, whether or not people are for it or not, I think just needs to be, needs to be talked about. You know what I mean? There's not just one specific, uh, you know, antidote to something. There's other, lots of other variables to it. I agree. I agree hundred percent. Now I, I have a question for you regarding anxiety in, in general, because I've, like I said, you said your, your PowerPoint was a little bit old, but I, I'm curious to know that is, is our anxiety because anxiety is rooted in the future is it because we have anxiety because we're always replaying the past? Is that sort of, is that? Kind of. Yeah. So I'll give you, I'll give you the, I'll give you a, in kind of story form. Say, say there's a child seven years old and their life is going okay. And then all of a sudden um, their mother dies. Right. So they get this trauma that gets imprinted into their system and they don't know how to deal with it. So what the child does, I mean, if they have a, if they have, if the other parent is very attuned to them and attached and connected, they can kind of work through that trauma at the time. But typically what happens with, with kids, especially these days when the parents are so distracted with other things is this trauma gets stuffed down into the body. So it's almost like my mind can't handle this. So I'm going to stuff this down somewhere else and it gets put into the body. And from that point on, it forms this focus of alarm. And I said earlier with me, this is in my solar plexus. It pushes up against my heart. It's about the size of a fist. So that's, that's, I don't even like the term anxiety because I don't think it describes anything. Really what you're suffering from is alarm. 
So and even when people come in and talk to me, when someone says they have generalized anxiety disorder, it's like, well, let's just change the words a little bit. Let's call that generalized alarm disorder because that's really what you have. Anxiety to me, and I write this in the book, is anxiety to me is painless. Anxiety is just is just thoughts. It's just anxious, future-based, scary thoughts. And one of the examples I give is, say I have two 15-year-olds in my office. One's a boy, one's a girl. I go, into the, I go into the girl and I say, hey, Jessica, it looks like you might be pregnant. Now, Jessica, probably at 15 years old being pregnant, will freak out, right? Now, and she'll go into alarm and then her mind will create a bunch of anxiety. Now, if I go into the other room and I go, hey, Jack, looks like you might be pregnant. He's not going to get anxious or alarmed at all because he doesn't believe the, what I've just told him. So if you don't believe the worries, the, the, the anxious thoughts are just anxious thoughts. It's up to you. Once you believe them, then they get transferred into your body. Then the whole cycle starts. So I believe we have alarm stored in our body. It creates this negative energy. The mind is a make sense, meaning-making machine. It compulsively reads the body. It reads the alarm. The, the alarm is uncomfortable. So the mind to overcome this, this dissonance, this, this incongruousness or this fact that things don't fit together, it goes, well, I feel this horrible feeling in my body. What's the, hor what's the worst thing that could happen to me right now? So then it develops worries. And then when we believe the worries, we go back, it makes more alarm which of course, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and then we go back into this, what I call, and I talk about this a lot in the book, this alarm anxiety cycle. So a lot of times when people are anxious, they're really alarmed. It's in their body and they attribute it to their mind. And then a lot of therapists attribute it to their mind. They try and treat the mind. And the problem isn't in the mind. The problem is stuffed down in the body. So no wonder talk therapy isn't going to work. Like if you're, if you're, I'm, I'm sort of putting my hand on my chest right now. So if your problem is here and then I'm putting my hand on my head and you're trying to address up here in your head, you're not really going to get that far. So it's really understanding the alarm anxiety cycle. I get people when I deal with them, to not even use the word anxiety unless they're talking only about anxious thoughts. I get them to say, I'm feeling alarmed today. Not I'm ah. feeling anxious, not, not I have anxiety. I have alarm because that words have consciousness to them. And that word alarm, everyone no, not everyone knows what anxiety means, but everyone knows what alarm means. Well, yeah, I like your any exit. Yeah. Would, would be a good way to describe anxiety yeah. because you it's, because, you know, people have asked, like, what's your depression like or what's this right. like? And you're in and you you kind of talk about the emotions you feel yep. and, you, and you may even talk about the body mechanisms that you feel. Right. And I know that, like, for me, like when I get super depressed, yep. Yep. I, I it's it's hard for me to function. It's hard for me to to put like more than one thought together at a time. It's also hard to perform activities my thoughts slow down, my reaction time slows down. Yeah. I have a quick question you, for you. Go ahead, Tim. Um, you were talking about uh, the anxiety and the thoughts and like the physiological. Is, do, you, do you think that the, I guess the feeling in the body is before the thoughts or do the thoughts come and then the feeling in the body? I think both. If I had, you know, if you had a gun to my head and you said, which one is it? I would say, <laughs> I would say it's the body first. I would say it's wow. the body first and the thought comes second. No and, kidding. Yeah. And we're starting to see like studies now 
where they're looking at, you know, people are sort of sitting around and then all of a sudden somebody thinks, oh, I, I want to get a glass of water. And I'm paraphrasing this. I'm probably butchering, butchering it. But, but, um, but they will see on functional MRI studies uh, activity 90 seconds before they even had the idea to, to go get a glass of water. So it's like things happen and we believe, oh, okay, well, I just had the thought that I need a glass of water. Well, you might, your brain might, might have processed that 60 to 90 seconds ago and it's just coming to you now. So I believe that I believe the mind is much more of a passive object and, and sort of a make sense machine and a, and a future predictor, you know, a prediction machine than mm -hmm. it is an actual, you know, that it actually houses painful memories. Now, there's no doubt that, you know, if someone has a lot of alarm in their system, you know, their amygdala gets bigger, um, the hippocampus can get smaller, um, there's, there's brain changes. But I do think that, that it starts in this sort of unconscious process where as a child, we start pushing our trauma down so that we don't have to deal with it all the time, but then it comes up, it comes up later. And then you go to see a medical doctor or whatever, they, they understand none of this. So you wind up getting a medication and, you know, and I'm not against medical doctors. I am one, you know, I, I think that they, <laughs> we have a lot of great, we have a lot of great things that we do for people, but we're not in general, very good at mental health. We're just, well, the, well in the Western world, like in, in, in the United States, and I've heard this said before, and I've said it before on our show, uh, medicine in America is great for trauma, like gunshots, yeah. serious physical injury but it is yeah. not good for dealing with the individual on a, on this different level. I think that's true. But I do think uh, allopathic medicine does get maligned a little too much because there are good medications out there. There really are, you know, there's some good heart medications. There's some, some good, uh, there's medications that are good. So, so it's kind of a, you know, it's sort of a pat statement. Like if you get in a car accident, yeah, there's nothing better than allopathic medicine. Now a chronic disease. Yes. We're probably not that good at it. But in general, there's a lot of stuff in, in medicine that is really, really good. There's a lot of stuff that chiropractors do that's really good. There's a lot of stuff that naturopaths do that is really good as well. So it's like this, this sort of black and white, all or nothing kind of, kind of thought process. I try and I really try and avoid that kind of stuff because, you know, there's really good parts about allopathic medicine. There's really bad parts about it too. There's really good parts about, you know, naturopaths and there's probably some bad parts about them as well. So I try and, and, you know, as you can tell, I try and draw from as many different resources as I can and try to come up with something that makes sense to me. That's awesome. I actually makes me feel kind of good because I do the same thing. <laughs> A lot of people, it's, I mean, I think it's an easy explanation because I think we are looking for ways we are frustrated with medical doctors. There's no two ways about it. We are symptom relief people. And then they say, you know, on Facebook, they'll say, why don't doctors recommend, you know, vitamins and, and all these healthy supplements? Because you won't fucking take them. That's why. <laughs> That's, we don't waste our time. You know, like we know, we, you know, you know, you got to lose weight. If I tell you, you got to lose weight as a doctor, it's like, yeah, it may hold a little. I used to put it on prescription pads sometimes, actually. Take a vacation was one of the prescriptions I used to write to people. I'd right. take a vacation and I would give them because whatever's written on a prescription is of course God at that point too. So, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not into doctor bashing. Uh, I know there's a lot of stuff wrong with just symptom management, but the other thing too is that patients want to feel better. 
you know, they do want it. They do want to feel better and they don't want to do, you know, uh, a six week, um, you know, cut out dairy, cut out gluten, cut out sugar. You know, they don't want to do that. You know, if you could say, if you say, okay, well, I'll give you this pill that you could take every day and your stomach pain would go away and you don't have to do all this other stuff. Um, they would do it. You know, one of my, (laughs) one of my favorite stories is one of the guys I used to tour with as a comedian. Um, he used to smoke and what smoking does is it, is it relaxes the stomach, the top part of the stomach. So the acid starts to wash up into the esophagus. So uh, I prescribed him this thing called Nexium, which is basically a strong acid blocker for your stomach. And it worked, you know, at the end of the tour, he was like, I've got no, you know, I've got no uh, heartburn anymore. This is amazing. And then when we got back home, he says, I need you to prescribe me some of that stuff. It's like, okay, well, let me get this straight. So you want me to give you a drug so you can keep smoking. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that, that sounds right. You yeah. summed up. You summed up humans in one sentence, right there. <laughs> you know they want. They want what they want when they want it. You know, so so people come. So people bash doctors, but we're kind of in a way just giving you what you're demanding, which is right. symptom relief, right? right? So we have to look at the big picture of you know, and doctors want to help. Like that. That's the thing. They want to help. So sometimes in giving an antidepressant, we think we're helping, and in some in some cases we are. But it is one of those things where we are trained in a pharmaceutical model and, you know, don't go to the hardware store looking for peanut butter because you're not going to find it there. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Doctor, look, if you go to a medical doctor looking for psychotherapy, who's not a psychiatrist and even the psychiatrists, I don't know, are are doing a lot of therapy anymore. But, you know, you're probably not going to get therapy because we're not trained in it for one. So you talk a lot about the somatic part of this. So what is something, what is an actionable piece of, of advice for our listeners and us to start getting in tune with our bodies? Cause so many of us aren't in tune with our bodies. Yeah. That's a great question. Well, thanks for that. Cause I was kind of rambling there. So no, I, I was, I was thinking the same thing too, Will. So I'm like, great, right on. Yeah. Let's hit it. Yeah. Let's hit it. Okay. So there's this thing that I call find your alarm, right? So, um, so maybe we'll I'll work with you for a sec if it's okay. Yeah, absolutely, man. Okay. So so get comfortable in your chair. Now take a breath. Let it go. Now tell me a trauma from your childhood. Don't pick like the freaking worst trauma of your life, but but some a traumatic event that bothers you. Um, the traumatic event that bothers me. I mean. Look, you know, being picked up at my babysitters by my dad telling me that my mother just had a nervous breakdown and that I'm leaving. <laughs> okay, well, that's a big trauma. but I it, is, it is a huge trauma, but it's something that plagues me for, has plagued okay. me my whole life. Okay, so close your eyes for a second. Now scan your body from like your chin to your pubic bone and think of like, bring that situation back to mind. Like, did you get into a car? Did he tell you, you know, in front of the school? Like, what happened? Uh, Knocked on the door. Um, I was actually in my underwear with a bunch of other kids, like jumping on a bed. Like, and then uh, we literally went to where I lived and I was told to just get some clothes and not to take anything else and that we were going to my grandparents. Okay. So right now, is there a place in your chest or your belly or your throat where you feel that, that more intense than, than somewhere else? I would say somewhere between 
my Adam's apple and like around my like upper chest, like my breast up up around here. So maybe like just slightly above my sternum, like in here somewhere. Now, would you say that it had a temperature? Does it feel like hot or cold? Uh, it actually feels quite warm. Okay. Not, I wouldn't say burning hot, but it, okay. as we talk about it though, like I feel like the warmth, like it feels hot. Yeah. And would you say that it's kind of this sort of diffuse kind of thing, or would you say it's kind of like like a fist, like a like a ball of energy, or is it more just kind of diffuse? It's it's a little bit more diffused. I don't feel the I don't feel the knot, but I feel it sort of um, like radiating, like in through here. And th this is gonna weird you out because no other doctor will ask you this. Is there like a color to it? um it may not be i know i don't i don't when i close my that's eyes fine. i don't see a color yeah that's fine and would you say that it, it does it push up into your throat or does it does it radiate anywhere um it it slightly pushes into my throat but it kind of radiates into my into like my into my like shoulder okay and is it worse on one side than the other does it feel like it pushes more towards one side than the other now it seems to be more centralized in the in the center than it does to be pushed off to one side or another okay so what i want you to do is put your hand over that area just put one of your hands over yeah just with that and then just feel the reassurance of your own touch your own connection to yourself now in different people this is going to be in different areas for sure so if you just feel that warm connection to yourself, just telling yourself, I'm here for you, I've got you. Because I do believe that this is your younger self. I mean, I'm condensing a tremendous amount of material here, but but I do believe that's your younger self that's kind of asking you for, for your attention. I have, and, and not to cut you off, I have started to go back to my younger self. And I, and like to give you a little backstory. So I was, as a kid, I was always called Billy. Okay. And somewhere in my twenties, um, I decided to change, you know, my proper name is William, but I decided to yeah. go by Will and it wasn't even my idea to go by Will. It was someone else's idea, but I liked it and I, it stuck and I like it and I feel comfortable in it, but I always felt that I left Billy behind. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. And I, yeah. Yeah. Because the next thing I had written down here to ask you was was nickname. So you went into that whole thing about Billy. So this is probably Billy right here. Okay. So if you need to connect with him, that's how you do it in your quieter moment. Now, for most people, when they start this process, it feels very disingenuous. It feels very odd. It's like, this doesn't feel right or whatever. But and I it's and not to cut you off, but it's funny yeah. because as I got my hands here like this, like I feel like all this energy sort of ra like radiating around, like from like my back out to my front, like into this area. Yeah. Cause once you start paying attention to this area, you'll find, because when I first saw, you know, my alarm, it was pretty, you know, ill-defined. Uh, and the more I paid attention to it, the more defined it became. It became kind of like this purple crystalline structure that actually pushes up. So I, I've given you the short short version of it. But so that's what I would that's what I get people to do is to find the alarm in their system, 
And that's probably their younger self. So usually what will happen is this alarm will come up in our system and then we'll either distract, like we'll distract in a shopping or, or uh, internet or, you know, social media or something. And basically, if this, if this is your younger self asking for your attention and that's what your alarm is coming up and that's why you're alarmed and you go off and do something else, it feels like it got abandoned all over again. So on a daily basis, I get people, and what I recommend for you, Billy, is to, uh, is to connect with Billy three or four times a day, regardless of how you're feeling. So what a lot of people will do is they'll wait until they get alarmed, and then they'll go, oh, Dr. Kennedy said I should really, I should really find my inner child in this particular alarm spot. And that's helpful, but if you do it a number of times a day when you're not alarmed, you'll start building a, a, a better connection with that younger part of yourself. And then as that comes out, and as you get a little more connected to yourself, uh, we become less judgmental of ourselves. We abandon ourselves much less. We blame ourselves much less. And probably most importantly, we shame ourselves a lot less. And then once you get to that point, you can start working with this, you know, inner child and bring them along. You know, if there's something that you like to do. And the other, then kind of one of the things that I do is, so, so what did Billy, I'm gonna use his name. What did Billy like to do when he was a kid? Ride his bike. Billy you know? loved Billy loved riding his bike. Billy loved Evil Knievel. Billy loved Kiss. <laughs> Billy loved like what about making the, models. What's that? No, I was never okay. into making models. No, I was I I'm a musician through and through. Okay. I I love music, always have. Um and at that point in my life, um I, I loved Kiss. Uh, I loved my little wind up evil Knievel like jump cycle. Um, <laughs> I loved ha I loved Happy Days. Uh, I loved the I loved the New York Yankees even, and I and I turned my back on the New York Yankees a long time ago. Yeah, the old Snake River Canyon. All yes. right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Viva Knievel with Lauren. What was her name? Not Lauren. 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 Um, yes, uh, Viva Knievel. Yeah. Um, yes. I just read a book, like I just got a book, like my wife got me a book last year that I was reading recently. Great um, Daredevil, that evil Knievel, but horrible actor. Horrible actor and not <laughs> such a not such a good person at, at either. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take you a little bit further. Well, um, so uh, what was the best time in your life or one of the best times in your life? Uh, the birth of my child. Okay. Um the fur hearing myself on the radio for the first time okay um is there something that gives you like a real guttural feeling reaction of like pride pleasure peace comfort uh peace is very hard to find yeah i can get that but that's you know but some sort of or an accomplishment that you're really proud of yeah i mean an I, look i'm 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 a singer and stuff and in the 90s in the 90s i was in a pretty popular band that like had the you know got had a had a record out got played on national radio i thought i was going to be a rock star and it crashed it crashed and burned well yeah but hey so, you know you know this you're a stand-up comedian you know how it goes well, I'm but i'm still i've got eight guitars i played in a band for 15 years and i still play and i'm still writing music i'm recording new music now and stuff so but what i'm trying to get at is like was there a show that you guys like just crushed like just yeah, like, our Cedar release party at Bogies. Okay, it was so, wall to wall so, people couldn't you couldn't move. I don't even remember how. So good bring it was. that bring that feeling into your body. Like you're you know you're either between sets or the show's over and people are like that was just 
freaking amazing. We just loved it. Can you get, can you get there? It's hard. It, it yeah. actually causes me a little bit of anxiety. To, and not, I, it, it causes me a little bit of discomfort. I can tell you why in a minute, but it's really important to see if you can get a hold of it. Because what I want you to do is something called pendulation, which is basically going back to, to Billy and then creating that, that you know, wonderful feeling in your mind as well. Because he carries a lot of trauma, right? And that's all he's pretty much known. Um, and that's, that's basically where we revert to, because we revert to, uh, we groove into the most negative parts of our childhood. And then we, we store them unconsciously. So what I want to do is kind of break up that negative story with something really positive that you feel in your body. So you go back and forth and back and forth. And normally I would do this over two hours with somebody. So, so that's basically what, what I would do with you. Um, I do different things with different people, but that's my instinct with you is to kind of take you into this place and then just, you know, on a daily basis, bring that, you know, and other great things, you know, the birth of your, the birth of your child, that kind of stuff, because he's, he's got a whole, he's swimming in a whole lot of trauma in there and hasn't seen a whole lot of light. So what you've got to do is just bring that light into him. And it takes a while. And when you said earlier on that your anxiety comes up, it's because when we grow up in chaotic environments, it feels uncomfortable to let our guard down. Yeah, right? totally, so totally. We become hypervigilant. So when actually we feel good, and I tell this story in the book, sometimes my, my massage therapist, Britta, she's an amazing massage therapist. And I'll walk out of there after 90 minutes of massage and I'll have a panic attack because it wasn't safe for me to let down my guard as a child. So when I felt really, really relaxed and really, really like, oh, everything's great, that's when it comes back and smacks you again. So that's one of the reasons why people have a hard time healing because when they start feeling good, they don't trust it because their, their ego has told them their whole life they have to maintain this vigilant state. So if you don't, if you're, it's, when I call it, you know, worry, you get worried when you're not worrying. <laughs> So yeah, that's why I, I, you said your anxiety comes up when you start thinking of positive things, probably from your childhood, probably you were always waiting for the other shoe to drop. You never know what was going to happen next, that kind of thing. <laughs> so what happens is when we do, when we get that is that we don't ever allow ourselves to relax because that's the time when we were children that we got blindsided. Wow. I, there, was Fuck, a lot, there was a lot wow. to, uh, yeah, there was a lot to in to digest read right there. Slowly. Read the book slowly. Like the book is like it's thick with a lot of this stuff. So it's just like I get people and some of them because they haven't had the answer. They've been asking themselves these questions for their whole lives. And I start to answer it in the book. They want to just race through it and find the answers. But it can really it can destabilize you. So you really have to kind of go with the book at a very kind of measured pace. And uh, I get messages every day saying, I've stopped highlighting the book because I'm highlighting more, more words than I'm not. And it's just defeating the purpose of highlighting it. So that's what I love about this book. It's, you know, 15 years of my kind of wisdom and knowledge and dealing with my own issues and also dealing with my patients. Cause I tell stories in it too. That's one of the things that I really like about the book because it's not an academic, you know, and it's different than any other anxiety book that's ever been written. You know, it's just, it's not even close to any, it's not a, it's not a textbook. It's not a, it's not a how to in a way it, it's why we feel like we do. And it, it's a normal reaction of the human nervous system when we're under stress for a long time to show up with this hypervigilant 
chronic thought pattern that makes us focus on the future. It's just, it's just how normal human beings operate. And in a way, anxiety is a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. Is it now, so I got a question for you because, and, I, and Tim, I'm sorry that I kind of hijacked this a little bit. With no, that's that. all right. But I, so that was one of the traumatic things. I, I almost drowned when I was four. Like right. I literally, fe- so my question to you is, is, is it that, is it multiple traumas that just add like more and more layers or do they go and do they go to different places or or are they necessarily stored in the same place? It's just that there's just more layers to it. I, I think it's a lot of all of what you said there. I think in some people, it does get stored in different places. I've had people where they feel deep alarm in their throat. And also from a woman who was sexually abused in her pelvis too. Like that was where her alarm was, was she felt in both places. So other people, I find that, that I'll bring them into different traumas of their lives you know, like the almost, so, okay, let's just do this for a second. So that feeling of almost drowning, do you remember, do you have any, any conscious recollection or unconscious recollection of that? Um, yes. And I, I, just to give you a little context. So I was running down the side of a public pool. I knew I wasn't supposed to be running. I fell in and I fell in at the, at the dip where the pool starts to go down to the deeper level. And I can see it still as clear as day, me just going under the water and me slowly sinking to the bottom. And I've actually had days where, uh, and, and, you know, I've said this to my wife and and I've experienced this. There's days where I wish I was just let to go down to the bottom of the pool and not, but my mom jumped in and got me out and, um, it caused a lot of chaos in my life afterwards. I was never like really allowed to go to people's houses with pools and all that other stuff, but yeah. So yes, I can, I can feel it, see it, but I love the water. I like to swim. Like slow down for a sec. Let's slow down for a sec. Well, so, so you're in the water, you feel like you're sinking to the bottom. Where do you feel that in your body? Top of my head. Okay. So is that qualitative or quantitatively different than the the feeling in your upper chest? Yeah, it doesn't feel as intense. It just feels like, it almost feels like, and maybe it's my bald head letting out heat, but it just almost feels like the life is kind of leaving my, the top of my head in a way, not, not necessarily my life, but just the energy is like leaving out the top of my head. Yeah. I mean, that's seventh chakra kind of stuff, right? So, sure. so crown chakra. Yeah, absolutely. That's what, that's what I find with people is I, I, I take them through their different traumas. Some people, it'll all get piled into the same place. You know, and that's why I took you through that to find out if you have a different place than your throat. Other people, it, it will, all of their traumas seem to be, well, you know, I'd say, you know, go back into that situation where you were, you know, near drowning or whatever. And do you feel that in your throat? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same, same kind of feeling. It's the same kind of thing. So, so with you, it's different, you know? So the answer is some people seem to sort of have a, a warehouse in one place and all of it gets stuck in there. And other people have like alarm centers that are in different parts of their body. So yeah, that's, that's kind of, thing. and you know, the number of traumas that you have, it makes it harder to to process there was a pro, there's a um, procedure they use called emdr 
eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, right? Have you heard of it before? Yes, they, absolutely. Right? Now, most of the data, if you look at most of the data, it seems to be most effective for people that have had a singular trauma. Like if you had, if you had a near drowning experience at say, while you know, after your verbal, so after seven years old, at 13 or 14, and you know, you had, you know, connected parents, that kind of thing. EMDR for a specific trauma seems to help, but for complex PTSD or complex trauma, it doesn't really seem to do a whole lot. You know, although the EMDR people will probably want to take one of my testicles for that, but it's just it, <laughs> <laughs> jokes I, on them. You only have one. Exactly. too. <laughs> so, so that's the thing. I think um, some of these some of these um, strategies. Uh, tapping is another one. You know that kind of yes. thing. Yes. Oh, absolutely. We. I. I. I, I do the tapping. tapping. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think I think it does help but and i can tell you why it helps is because basically what it does is prior to tapping you had you were in a, a, a loop of alarm and anxiety you were thinking more at the anxious thought over and over and over and it was getting stronger and stronger and stronger and then what you did was you pulled yourself into sensation by tapping your face uh because if you look at the the map of the human uh, brain we have a tremendous amount of real estate in our brain for our hands and our face so as soon as you touch your hands to your face, like sometimes what I do is I cross my hands across the midline and then I just rub the opposite cheek with my, now you can't ignore that. That brings you in a sensation. And what that does is all the previous energy, when you were hundred percent putting energy into those negative thoughts, now only half of that energy is put towards your negative thoughts because uh, your brain has been brought into the sensation and it's been brought into the present moment. So it makes you feel better in the short term. I do think there are probably people who get, some benefit from tapping long term, but I'd say they're in the minority. I don't think tapping is is one of those things that makes a huge difference for people because you're really not, you know, we have to kind of go into the trauma um, and you can't really, you know, you're, you're kind of touching the superficial part of it when you're doing that. And it's kind of a distraction method more than anything else. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other things that I could talk about, but it's probably not not all that relevant. So there's these processes that anything that brings you in a sensation, brings you into the moment, will take you out of that kind of future-based, you know, lock of these, you know, this this horrible thing is going to happen. This horrible thing is going to happen. As soon as you bring yourself into the present, and that's one of the things that I tell people too, is that if you were looking for practical stuff to to show people, is is this one little question that I ask myself in the middle of the day or the middle of the night, which is, am I safe in this moment? And just, you know, when you wake up and it's 4 a.m. and you're freaking out because you've got, you know, something the next day or the next week or whatever, and you ask yourself, am I safe in this moment? I know that shit's coming down the road, but am I safe right now, lying in my bed? Am I actually safe in this moment? And then, and then showing yourself that you are. And because what a lot of people with trauma and anxiety do is they go from trauma to trauma to trauma. They never actually show themselves consciously or unconsciously that they're safe. So what will happen is, you know, someone has to give a talk in front of people. So they freak out for the month before they have to have that talk. The talk goes fairly well, actually. And then they have to fly to see their uncle a month later. So what they do then is they go, well, that talk went well. I'm really afraid of flying. So for the next month, they focus on the, the fear of flying. So they never actually, <laughs> even though that, that two-month period, 99.9% .9 of it was, was risk-free, you know, or, or at least you know, not worth freaking out about, 
their body kept them in this vigilant state. So when you say to yourself, I know, I know things are stressful right now, but right in this moment, right now, am I safe? And then it shows your unconscious that, oh, you know what? You kind of are. But again, that goes against what I was saying earlier on about, you know, that hypervigilance, you know, because we, we feel like we have to keep this hypervigilance up. So if we, if we acknowledge that we're safe, then it's like, oh, well, I don't know if I, if I can be safe. And all of this is just repetition. It's just, you know, finding your alarm is repetition. Just going to it every day, three or four times a day. Not for a long period of time, maybe a minute, maybe two. Uh, and just realizing that you're safe. Like, you know, and doing that a number of times a day, it's kind of retraining that hypervigilant mind because you're not a child anymore. You're not seven years old waiting for your dad to come home drunk. Like you're not. But part of your amygdala in your brain, because the amygdala has no sense of time, Part of your brain gets transported back to seven years old and you're waiting for your dad to come home. And that's the mental, that's the, that's the mental framework that you have at that particular moment. So A, bring yourself into the moment and then B, ask yourself, hey, you know what? I'm gonna look around right now. I'm gonna look at my monitor, look at my lights. Am I safe in this moment? It's like, hell yeah, I'm safe in this moment. So if you're safe in this moment, you're safe because all we have is the moment. Excellent, I like that. A lot of uh, what you're talking about, like really, um, you know, hits home for me. Like a lot of the stuff is just um, pretty, pretty spot on as far as the anxiety and, and your thoughts after it and waiting for the other shoe to drop or however they say. I should really write a book, you know. You yeah. probably should. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would think so. I would think that book would probably sell pretty well. I would think so. We can and maybe you can go on a podcast and talk about it. That'd be pretty cool too. Great idea. Well, let's set that up. <laughs> we we can put a link, I think, maybe um, on the um, when the when the episode comes out. Maybe we can hook up a link somehow to uh, to the book. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, we certainly sure. will. We certainly will. Yeah, and if anybody wants to find me, I mean, it's basically the anxiety MD. Some people call it the anxiety doctor, which is wrong because there is another person called the anxiety doctor. But it's the anxiety MD and my YouTube channel, my Instagram, and all that stuff's there. And right now, I'm creating these um, hypno meditations. So, so they're kind of a, they have brainwave entrainment technology. Awesome, backed, love that. Backed into, um, I have one I'm working on right now for for anxiety in general, and one that I'm working on for panic attacks. And both of those will be done within a week because I've been working on them now for two weeks. And editing is just killing me right now. So I have this little sound booth in my house and I sit in that freaking sound booth by myself and I work on it and I just, I, I obsess over it. Even if I hear a little click, it's like, I got to find a way to get that click out of there. And man, it's, it's, it's frustrating me, but I love doing it. Like I love the little minutia. I love crafting it together. I love thinking about how people are going to benefit from this. And, you know, so yeah, I'm, that's, that's, that's awesome. I'm working on right now. You're making the world a better place, man. I am definitely trying, man. That's all well, you can we do is try. It. We appreciate it. And that's what we're trying to do. That's why I'm yeah. glad we hooked up. Yeah, for sure. You know, by you trying, both. by trying, you're doing. That's the way yeah. I see it. Well, it's like yoga thing. There is no try, just do. That's right. It's right. do or do not. There is no yeah. try. Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do a yoga impression, but I do do a Schwarzenegger impression, though. Let's hear it. Open the door. There's a bomb in there. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so I got to ask you a question. So as someone who's 
who's obviously had a lot of a lot of trauma in his life did yeah. and, and obviously being part of the national speakers bureau and and everything does a lot of this stuff like when you were doing comedy and stuff did a lot of this come into your into your skit into your uh into your bits and stuff or you know you know what well i i one of my big disappointments in life was the fact that i i you know did 12 years in comedy and i i was comfortable on stage i i liked it up there but i never really talked about stuff that was really important to me you know I would talk about how smart cars look like children's running shoes or, you know, just, just stuff that wasn't, you know, that, that was funny and, and the audience would find funny, but it really wasn't stuff that resonated with me. And a lot of that was because I was still practice, practicing as a physician at the uh -huh. time. And so I, I felt, you know, kind of hamstring by, I can't really say what I really want to talk about. Not that I wanted to go overly like dirty or controversial or whatever, but I really felt like I was this kind of doctor upstanding citizen kind of guy. And I had to kind of stick with, you know, kind of like Seinfeld bits. And I love Seinfeld for sure. Uh, um, me too. I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. Observational humor, but there's something in me that there's, 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 frustration in me that I would would have loved to have gone out and and you know worked out on stage but I never had the guts to do it I I had some material that was really funny and I would do it you know I would pick from it I would do it um, but it, it wasn't it, it wound up not being very rewarding in the end because I wasn't doing what I really I wasn't talking about what I really wanted to talk about which would have been, you know, like mental health issues growing up with this stuff and, and how we're trained in this society to sort of push down all the feelings, believing that somehow that's going to help us. And <laughs> it just doesn't. It just doesn't. It just makes things worse. It makes the society worse. But anyway, I mean, I still do the odd set down here in Victoria, but, uh, you know, I, it would take a stretch to go back in there and do it full time. Nice. Go ahead to me. No, no, I was wait. I I didn't know if you had something. I was just gonna. I was gonna just just today. I I had a. I was. I have this uh, the a program that we use to uh, screw around making like designs and memes, and um, something I wrote today just kind of fit with what you said. I I wrote. Uh, we are all trying to heal in a world where we don't talk about healing. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's exactly, and, and you know, the other one is that Krishnamurti quote that says it's no, it's no measure of good health to be profoundly adjusted to, or, or adjusted <laughs> to a profoundly sick society. Yes. Know? And that's kind of, that's kind of what's happening where like human beings are incredibly adaptive creatures, but it comes at a price, you know, it, you know, that stuff doesn't go away. We're finding out. Yes. Yeah. So it doesn't go away. So it's, it's a matter of, you know, really, it's a matter of making friends with yourself. I, I have this little acronym that I use called JABS that I talk about in the book, like boxing jabs. Yeah. And it's self, judgment, alienation, or abandonment, uh, blame, and shame. Judgment, abandonment, blame, and shame, jabs. Because we take those jabs at ourselves every day. It's unconscious. A lot of it is societal. You know, a lot of yes. it and being men, too, you know, like, we're always feeling like we're in competition. We always feel like we have to prove ourselves. So we're always kind of pushing ourselves to be, you know, kind of in a way what we're not. And I think that's one of the reasons. And the other thing is that, you know, men have had crying 
conditioned out of them since they were since we we're you know boys. So we don't have this from a neurological perspective. Um, crying is one of those things that allows us to adapt, allows the brain to adapt internally to something it can't change externally. So if someone dies, you can't change that externally. Tears are one of those things that you know the the pain will still be there, but the, when you have a certain amount of tears over something. Right. Brain somehow yeah. jigs itself so that it doesn't our perception of it isn't quite so bad and i think that's why women do better long term uh mentally than men do because we just keep stuffing it down like bill burr talks about that like stuff it down stuff it down you know love stuff bill burr you know pretend yeah yeah stuff it down stuff it down uh, pretend you have answers do some man shit right there yeah <laughs> yeah that's kind of where like the whole scope of above ground comes from we're two guys that can talk about their shit and and you know it's it's like you know I, we haven't really gotten any bad reception about it i haven't heard anybody you know be derogative towards our man cards but <laughs> i never really had much of a man card to begin with so <laughs> well you know i there's a different. I think one of the things, and this is one of the things I wrote up piece about recently, is that I don't think men uh, really object to other men sharing vulnerability with this proviso. If you share vulnerability as a victim, men are going to jump all over you. But if you say, you know, hey, you know, Will, I'm having a real hard time with my wife these days. We're talking about divorce, and it's really getting to me. That's very different than. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like she wants a divorce and I, 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 <laughs> like, I don't have the money. Like I, 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 I what's, what are we going to do? How are we going to split the house? Like that brings up a guttural, unfortunately it brings up this guttural reaction in men that we want to just sort of shut off and like push that person away and like man up, whatever, you know? And I, and I admit to it, it's there. Um, but you know, I think it, it really is expressing what we need in a, in a vulnerable but not a victim sense. You know, if you can say you're vulnerable, this is what I deal with. I deal with anxiety. I still have it every day. At some point, I mean, it's a million times better than it was because I know how to deal with it now. Um, but that, that's different than appearing like a victim. And I think when, when men appear like victims, I think other men, and I think this is evolutionary. I think this is something that's in us that just sort of, we start to, you know, we start to push, pull back. And I think it's as men, if we can learn how to express our vulnerability and not having it appear weak, because that's the number one fear I think of men is that appearing weak. If we can do, express a vulnerability and have it sort of, yeah, you know, I feel that way too. Like that's, that's, if we can do that, I think we can start moving forward on stuff because I, I'm certainly not about shaming someone either. Even if you do appear as a victim, I mean, I'm not going to shame you. I just recognize that there is something in me that kind of wells up like, and I get this sort of a, yeah. a negative kind of sense about it, you know, like you don't really want to help that guy. And, and unfortunately, um, you know, or professionally, of course I, I do, but you know, with my friends and stuff like that, it's kind of like, I think that's as men, I think it's really important for us to learn to how to express our challenges without appearing, you know, like a victim. And I think if we do that, I think we'll start getting, a, we'll start coming together as men and we'll start seeing, hey, this is probably a better way to go. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, I think there's a certain, there's, there's a, a lot of truth in there. I think, I, I think 
victim is there's that's a kind of a, a loaded word in a way oh, yeah. because I mean obviously if you're a boy and something happens to you and you're victimized in some way that's a whole different thing than oh. being a grown man and being able to look at yourself in the mirror and 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 yeah. pretending and and being a victim there or you okay. know so I I you know yeah, but I, I get where you're coming from though with that, and I and I get that, and it's also off-putting to a lot of people because I think it, I think it's awfully hard for us in general to look at ourselves in the mirror and see weakness. Yeah, and nobody wants to appear weak. Hence, if they did, gyms wouldn't be have nine billion people member. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't have people working out. You wouldn't have people in MMA. You wouldn't have any of this if people wanted to appear weak. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I haven't met anybody who suffered with anxiety who wasn't a victim. I'm a victim, like, because it, it, it physiologically makes you into a physiological victim. It's your, it's your mindset when you see it, it's like, okay, I'm being a victim right now. I'm afraid to leave my house. What's it going to take? And this is why I, lo I love Mel Robbins' book, like the, the five-second rule. I don't know if you've read that, but, but it's yeah. just like what you do is you just go five, four, three, two, one. You open the door and get out of the goddamn house. Yeah, you know? me, I call it the DD Ramon rule. One, two, three, four. Yeah. There's nothing more important than that call to that call to action. Every, every Ramon song is that one, two, three, four. Yeah. Well, you're a musician, so I can see how you do like one, two, three, four. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> four, four, four beat, man. That's right, man. Everything is four, four. Yeah. Dr. Russ, I, I uh, really, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming on and, and uh, allowing us to uh, have this conversation. I think it, uh, I know for me, it was, it was an awesome experience. And I, I, I think it's opened up a lot of doors for people uh, if they, if they can hear it, you know? Yeah. For yeah. There's that old saying when the, the, the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So some people are ready, some people aren't. And, uh, and, you know, and that's okay. And, and, and that's okay. And that's, you know, that's how we, that's how we do it as human beings. There's a certain amount of people that are early adopters. And then there's other people that wait for everything to, to be proven before they do it. And, you know, I'm just glad that I, I finally got this freaking book. Cause I was talking to one of my ex-girlfriends the other day and we're still pretty good friends. And we dated men back in like 2005, 2006. And, uh, and, she, and I told her I published a book. She says, you know, you've been working on that book since we were together, which is <laughs> wow. 15 years, you know, since you've been working on that book since we, I remember you sitting, you know, writing that book, um, when we were together. So it's a long time coming. You finally, you finally get it out there. And, and that was the great thing about the pandemic is that I, I, I couldn't do anything else. I was stuck in the house. So, so it's like, okay, well, I might as well finish this damn book. Yeah, congratulations! It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm real. I'm really happy with how it's doing. And you, what, what was? Can you get the book off of your website or? Yeah, I probably Amazon is the easiest way to do it right now. It's still pretty early. Like we're three months in. I've got like twenty left. I had I started with 100. okay. I have twenty left now. So probably Amazon is probably the best place to and the fastest way to get it and that kind of thing too. Yeah, you just. Type in anxiety RX or Russell Kennedy, and you'll find it. You'll find it there. It's pretty easy to find. You can get it in a Kindle version and a paperback version. Yeah, book, yeah and I, I'm making the audiobook right now. Actually, I've done Ooh, that. Ooh, yeah, we love audio. Okay, books. yeah. So I'll, I'll wait for that then. 
<laughs> after I finish this, uh, the hypno meditations that I'm doing right now, uh, after I finish editing them, that's the next project is I'm starting on the, uh, I'm starting on the audio book. So I will be getting that for sure. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Timmy, Thanks, you know, where we're, you know, where we're going. Yeah, we have, uh, we have some, some last, last minute questions for you. We okay. always, uh, we always just kind of, um, like short round snap. out, round out the, uh, the episode with some questions, little, sure. little above ground questionnaire, if you will. Okay. Will, you want to start or do I start? No, you start. I feel like it's been a while, man. I don't know if I'm in a fog or what. Yeah. But... It's all right, Timmy. Shake it off. All right, shake it <laughs> off. Do you have a favorite or least favorite word? Uh, cause I just, I just, you know, okay. Um, <laughs> cause I, like I write, so there's like, there's so many words that I, that I love. Um, uh, all right. Throw a couple out there if you need to. Well, it's kind of weird. I'd say alarm is probably my favorite word because I think it, it meant so much to me to find the alarm in my body. And I, I use that word probably a hundred times a day in my writing or my, my speaking. So alarm would be my favorite word, I think, even though it's kind of negative. Gotcha. How about a least favorite? <sighs> Complacency, which isn't really, uh, I don't know. Uh, no, that's a good one. Yeah. But yeah. I would have guessed it was anxiety, but <laughs> actually, you know what? That's probably it. It probably is my least favorite word. You know, I think you're right because I, I really don't think it has a whole lot of consciousness to it. So I can, let me change my answer. I'll change my answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I got a lighthearted one for you. Okay. Dog, cat, or other? Dog, for sure. I have two. Two dogs, Buddha and Riley. Buddha is like a Zen, Zen master, and Riley's a freaking. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, if there was something that you could do for mental health as a whole without any kind of restraints, what would it be? Or what would, would you like to see happen with mental health? I would like to see everybody get in touch with the alarm in their body because that's where that's where things get fixed. There you go, folks. You heard it here. Wow. Yeah, so don't forget to pick up Dr. Russ's book, Anxiety, Prescription Anxiety Rx there to get in touch with that somatic part. Uh, Absolutely. He, I, I will say this. That was uh, eye-opening, you taking me through that exercise. Yeah. And I... Just keep doing it. Well, like keep finding him in there, you know, because that's, that's the part that has to heal. That's the part that once you solidify that part, everything else starts to just flow from there. That's awesome. Yeah, well, man. Send him that check too. Will you? Yeah. Yeah. I'll make sure I, I'll make sure I jump on Amazon right now and buy the book. <laughs> send me a shirt. Yeah, go. we will. We will definitely yeah, we'll sure. hook up with some addresses and get your shirt. Absolutely. Awesome. I'd like to see a picture of you wearing it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> me wearing it. Awesome. Dr. Awesome. Russ, thank you so much, man, for being a part of this. This is awesome. Thanks for doing the work you're doing. You know, it's important, especially for guys. You know, uh, most of the people in this field are female. You know, uh, out of the Instagram, 
you know, anxiety people, probably 90% are female. So really? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I would say, um, that's from what I see anyway, cause I try and, and I follow as many anxiety people as I can. And the vast majority are female. And you know, we need help. The guys need help in the world right now. We really, really do. So I'm, I'm really happy to see a couple of guys out there saying like, this is what we need to do. Cause that's, that's, that's where we got to go. That's where we, we've got to be able to, to help fix the man in the world because it's, it's, it's not fun out there for us. <laughs> We're trying. Yeah. One yeah. conversation at a time. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you again, Dr. Russ. Welcome, we appreciate guys. it. So until next time, be well. Be safe. Be above. Above. Awesome. Dr. Russ, thank you so much.